Good evening, everyone. We made it <laughs> through Christmas. <laughs> Last Sunday, was we were still scrambling around and seemed to be busy, but not only busy getting ready for Christmas, but um, also trying to figure out what thing, what we were going to do this year, this year that's unlike any other in our lifetimes. Who do we who do we visit? What do we do? What do we don't do? Um, so many things to think about this year, and now it's all over. <laughs> Maybe we have New Year's activities to come, um, and so more thinking and scheming about those too. So it's good to be here tonight, um, and good to have the opportunity to be together to and to also share God's word tonight. So let me pray and we'll begin. Dear Lord, uh, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for bringing us to this place tonight so that we can worship you in the presence of others, to feel fellowship with you and with each other as your children. And Lord, your word is powerful and mighty as you are powerful and mighty. And so we come to your word tonight with a desire to learn from you, to grow more deeply into our walk with you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, what a year it's been. A year of political upheaval. Um on top of normal challenges. That's been challenging enough, certainly, for me. And I'm not even a voter. (laughs) I don't know what it'd be like if I were a voter. Perhaps we will one day. And then, of course, the, the dreaded COVID and all that that has done changing our lives this year. So many changes have come. Even this afternoon, we received a text from a good friend on the mountain, the lady who leads Patricia's Bible study, uh, Stan Gabriel. You know Stan? Stan passed about one-ish this afternoon from COVID uh, complications down at uh, Riverside Regional. So we lose Stan. We've known Stan for... Of 1985, what is that, 35 years? Uh, He was one of the first Christians we knew on this mountain when we came here. And he's been a very faithful missionary for crew all these years. And so it's really sad to think of him. He was also my buddy, uh, the, the only guys in an exercise class that would meet twice a week at the library and he and I were the only two guys in the class, so now I'm on my own. So any other guys, I need, I need a partner. <laughs> um, so with all this going on, there's this, this sense of sometimes of feeling like all of the compassion and mercy has just been squeezed out of us as we've been going through the, the roller coaster ride this year. So what will 2021 be like? 
Well, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, as we know, with the arrival of the vaccine. That is really great news. But we have a long way to go before us normal folk get to have a vaccine. And we're going to have more, probably more rising cases. And maybe it will continue to hit us closely. Um, more lockdowns, more impacts. The political upheavals have not gone away. I think they will continue into the new year. So uh, I think there will be continued frustration and anger and and uh, lots of things that are, people are not happy about. So can 2021 be any better than 2020? That's the question. And that's what this message is about is how do we get ready for 2021? Next week, uh, Pastor Brandon is going to share the things that God has laid on his heart for the, for the coming year. But I wanted us to kind of think about and position ourselves well for 2021. I think of the larger context uh, of mission which I'm involved in, 7.8 billion people on this planet, only 2.4 say that they are Christian. So 5.4 billion people need to hear the gospel. And in the US, um, 65% last year identified themselves as Christians. 30 years ago, it was 85%. So now we're looking at 115 million people in this country who need to hear the gospel. So that's the context for and the challenge and the for us as we look ahead for the opportunity that, that God may give us to help others come to see the and experience the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Of course. The world doesn't want to really hear our message, the message that we need salvation, that we are sinners needing salvation. And of course that was true for Jesus too. In fact, I was thinking today, but I didn't have time to go through every passage, I was thinking, was there one occasion in the Gospels where someone came to Jesus and said, how can I be saved? Even Nicodemus, who I was thinking, well, he's, is he one? No, he didn't actually come wanting salvation. He was told that he needed to be born again. But he didn't. it wasn't his felt need that he needed to be saved. So if anyone's got one, a story where someone came to Jesus and said, I want to be saved, let me know, because I'm actually going to go on a hunt and see if I can find one. I looked through the stories in the book of John, and I couldn't find one. And I, and I think there's, I don't think there is one, but we'll see. But the world does want a life that makes sense. And I think that provides us with opportunity. One book I'm reading right now talks about signposts, that the things that people look for to help make sense of the world in which they live. And he had seven of these signposts, justice, love, 
truth, spirituality, power, beauty, and one more. Tr- uh, truth, I said truth. Yeah, and freedom. That was the seventh one. And freedom. But the problem is, of course, that th- unless we look at those signposts through the eyes of Jesus, unless we look at justice, for example, which is there in, in mo- many people, most people have a desire to see things put right. Most people want to have meaningful relationships. Most people want a connection with something beyond. I'm always being told by people that they are becoming more spiritual. Um, but very rarely do I hear them saying, yes, and I'm coming more spiritual because I'm getting to know Jesus. So there is that desire for a connection. We all want a life that makes sense. But if we can't see through the eyes of Jesus, then we can't see those signposts very clearly. They're blurred and they're muddied. And so as a result, without Christ, we go after those things because we do want life to make sense, but it all ends up in a big mess. We don't have the very meaningful relationships that we want. We don't get the justice that we are looking for. We don't see the beauty so often that we're looking for and so on. But for us, as we grow in our understanding of Jesus and how he lived his life in front of us and how he explained those things, we have answers. We understand more clearly what justice can really look like, what love can really look like, what truth looks like. But I think there's one of those signposts as I was thinking about those seven. I was thinking, would it be nice to do to teach on each of those seven? But be relieved, uh, I'm not planning to do that tonight. I want to pick one, which I think is the one that is over all of them. So the overarching signpost, I think, is love. And for that... I want to look at love in the book of John. So, turn with me to John chapter 13. And we're going to start with verse 31. Many passages, of course, that we could pick to talk about love. But this is the one that I thought would be good for us to look at tonight. It's an interesting moment in the ministry of Jesus. Everything has changed. The Last Supper has occurred and Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. And almost it seems Within moments of him walking out the door, the die is cast. Jesus is going to the cross. He is going to be arrested. And Jesus says these words in verse 31 of chapter 13. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. 
If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's a wonderful passage. We'll just explore it a little bit tonight. It's not going to be a long message. Uh, let's have a look at, little look at it. Love, of course, as an idea, is spoken about all over the New Testament. It's spoken about in the Old Testament as well, but particularly in the New Testament. There are over 60 passages that speak about love for one another in different ways. About 30 passages that talk about caring for one another, and another 25 passages that talk about encouraging one another and serving one another. And that's obviously the outpouring of love is when we serve and when we care. So the New Testament is full of the message of love. But it's easy for us, I think, as Christians to think of that as old news. We kind of accept it and say, well, yeah. Yeah, we, we know that God loves us and we know that we are to love one another. Some might say, well, what's that got to do with my situation? I'm scared, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm broke. What has loving one another got to do with that? There are so many things I think we could all make a list of the things that we, are strugg we struggle with and have struggled with in this year. So what's the way out? And I'm going to suggest to you tonight that the way out of all of these things that rattle around in our heads, that worry us, scare us, concern us, frustrate us, all of those can be solved by the biblical idea of love or what Jesus said and lived so well in front of us. Of course, the great passage the great commandment, Matthew 22, remember in verse 20, uh, 37, love of the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it, love one another, or love your neighbor, I should say, as yourself. So, I believe that love is the solution to what we face as we stand at the end of this year, facing another year which is going to have a lot of things that are going to be the same. Hopefully a lot of things will be different. So, let's ask the Lord to open our eyes and give us a fresh understanding of this idea of love.
Because I believe that as we do that, we will experience more joy, more peace, and we'll be more equipped to be able to be part of what God is doing to build his church around the world and here in our community. First thing I wanted to talk about is who are we to love? In this passage, in verse 34 of chapter 13, it says, uh, love one another. So he's telling the disciples to love one another. They were all like each other in some way. They were from the same tribe, same group, same, not tribe, but same group. And they were similar to each other. And we have people who are similar to each other. We have our friends, we have our family, we have our church friends. It's interesting that at this time, as I've talked to people, I hear stories of people who are not talking to family members because of either the political things or even about COVID, even about how we should respond to the virus that is running through us, through our communities. I've heard people say that those who, are diff- who think differently about whatever it is are demonic. I've actually heard that language. I've heard language like, I hate them. Wow. I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about others. I'm talking about Christians. So I think what this passage tells us is that if we are in that way of thinking, we are a long, long way from where God wants us to be. So I think the first challenge to us from this passage is that we need to restore relationships. And I think that's one of the most important things we can do as we end this year and and enter into what God has for us next year. Let's be ready for what God has for us in this coming year by restoring the relationships with those with whom relationships are broken or with whom we have attitudes that are not healthy towards them because of things they've said or choices they've made, etc. So the first group of people are those who are like us. That's hard enough. But what about those who are not like us? And this is where I think that this is really what separates Christians from the rest of the world. Because if we go to families, we find love amongst family members. We find it amongst friends. We find it amongst those who are part of groups. So it's harder for us, I think, to stick out and distinguish ourselves as Christians amongst those who are like us. But what about those who are not like us? That's really tough. Maybe from a different ethnic background. Skin color. 
maybe a different religion, a different politics, different economically. But the true test of being a follower of Jesus is how do we love those who are not like us? And something I missed, or I wanted to... Did I miss it? I was thinking about the fact that we all need to receive love I kind of missed this bit, but it's really, really important. We all need to experience love in our lives. It's part of who we are as human beings. And what I wanted to share was just this little picture I have in my mind. I don't know if you remember, but it was a long time ago. It was probably about the 80s. Um, as the wars were breaking down in communist countries, uh, Romania opened up. And I remember a documentary of a team that went into an an orphanage. Do you remember it? I don't know if you ever remember. And they came across these children who were sitting all crunched up and completely out of the world. They were totally in themselves. And as the documentary went on, we found out why. They had been dumped in the orphanage years before. They had never experienced love. They got food, as good or bad as that might have been, but no one put an arm around the shoulder. No one gave them love. And what happened, what we see is what happens to human beings who are completely deprived of love is they turn in on themselves, ultimately. In fact, the, the doctor was explaining that these children, that they, were, you, they were showing, as they were panning the camera, these children were actually catatonic. They were beyond the possibility of redemption. <coughs> Not in the biblical sense, but in the redemption in terms of becoming normal human beings. There were a few, I think, as I remember, that it was possible to slowly bring them back. But for most of them, it it was impossible. As I was preparing this, I was thinking of that picture. It always stuck with me. How important it is that we experience love. Therefore, if we want to experience it, obviously, we have to be part of, of sharing that. So, interesting, if we go back to our passage in John thirteen thirty five, it says, well, let me read 34. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So that's how important for me this idea of loving one another is. Because it is, you know, we think of all of the erudite people who can explain the gospel and apologetics. But Jesus 
decided that as one of the last things that he said to those disciples before going to the cross, and that he knew that they were the ones who were going to go on and carry the message, and the most important thing he wanted them to carry was the idea of love one another. Because if they did that, and they did do that, then Jesus would build his church as he promised. The importance of this, um, I actually found passage, uh, there are many passages that would demonstrate the importance of this, but I want to just read one in Job, which I found pretty challenging. And I want to read about in Job 31, if you want to follow on with me, from verse 13. So Job is defending himself, he's defending his integrity in front of those who would say, well, the reason God has taken away all your things and your life and made your life such a ruin uh, is because you didn't do good things. And so he's making a defense of himself. And in verse 13 we read, If I have denied justice to my men servants and maidservants when they have when they had a grievance again against me, what will I do when God confronts me? What will I answer when called to account? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I have not kept my bread, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, but from youth I reared him as would a father, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder, let it be broken off at the joint. Oh. I thought it was a really good picture that God is really concerned about love and concerned about us being instruments of his love. Job knew this, and Jesus shows us how important that is. So my challenge to us as we enter this year is not is to embrace rather than despise those who are different or feel uncomfortable around those who are different, but to actually embrace those who are different as we go into this year. You know, I travel over the years, we've traveled a lot with ministry, um, I was thinking, I haven't been... Any, every, every country, I've been to a number of countries where there has been genocide. Sudan, other places. But I haven't seen genocide by a people against their own, the same people. It is always against those who are different. And that tells us something, because we find it very difficult 
to like and to love those who are different. It was really sad. Um, 2006, I was about two weeks after the war ended in Sudan. It was a single country in that time. It's now two. And And the north had been bombing the south for years. And finally it ended. And I actually went there while they were actually removing mines from the road so we could actually get to where we were going. And I was part of a conference. I was actually facilitating a conference of pastors and bishops and and others from all kinds of tribes, all kinds of denominations. And they had such great hopes for the future. It was really encouraging. And about four years later, you started to hear that the old tribal conflicts were rearing their head against the Dinka were attacking the Nuea tribe, and, and so it was coming on again. Because they were different. They were physically different. They spoke a different language. They, were, they had different culture. So we do find it very difficult. But for me, the biggest test, I think, for us as Christians is do, how do we love those who are not like us? That's the test. And I think that as we go into this year, I think uh, in the political realm, I think there's great opportunity for Christians to love those who think very differently rather than hate or demonize. Lots of opportunity. So, we must develop a heart of love. So that love becomes a natural response and not something that we have to kind of think about and kind of generate within ourselves, but actually for it to become like a muscle that when it's needed, it just naturally responds uh, in that way. And the only way we can do that is to get receive that love from God. And as in 1 John 4.19, John says, we love because he first loved us. So as we, we need to receive God's love so that we can then express God's love. And I think we have an opportunity. I, I know that Pastor Brandon has been putting a big emphasis on prayer, and I think it's going to be one of his big emphases next year. And I think that's a great opportunity for us to ask God to be part of prayer, whether we do it in a group, whether that's possible, whether we do it in our homes, but to actually focus some of our prayer life on asking God to give us a heart of love and also giving us the opportunity to practice that love to others. Let me end with a story. Um, Several years ago, sure where I heard it. I think it was a conference. It was about a pastor. His name was Pastor Ortiz. He was um, a pastor of a big church in Buenos Aires in Argentina. And this church had grown from 300 to 3,000 over a period of time. I don't know what that was. 
And one day, he was, as he, he said, he, he was driving past the cemetery, and he noticed that the cemetery was also growing. <laughs> and he realized, he said, people are not growing in our church. They're getting fat. He says, we had 300 people who were fat. Now we have 3,000 people who are fat. And so he decided that he was going to do a series on love one another. And so he prepared a message, a series of messages actually. And the first message was he was going to explain all the four, in the Greek, there are four words for love. Uh, and he was going to go through a process of explaining all those different kinds of love uh, and teach in that way. But before he got to preach it, Lord spoke to him and said, no, I don't want you to preach that message. So when he got up that Sunday, he came to the pulpit and he stood in front of the people and he said, brothers and sisters, love one another. And then he went and sat down. Sat down for about two minutes until the worship leader <laughs> said, should I, should I do a song? <laughs> so a pastor got up and he came up to the pulpit again and he stood up in front of them and said, brothers and sisters, love one another. And then he went and sat down. At that point, his wife thought that he'd flipped his lid, you know, And eventually he got up again and said, for the third time, brothers and sisters, love one another. And then we sat down. And after a period of time, I don't know how long, probably not very long, he heard someone in the church turn to someone else and say, is there a way that I could love you? And it started to go on in the church. People started talking to each other. How could I love you? People got up and went and said, I'm sorry for my bad attitude towards you. Apparently that day, and of course it's a big church, there were 28 people who were unemployed ended up having a job. There were single mothers who had support as a result of that Sunday. After that service, he got a lot of there was a lot of criticism, um, as you could imagine. You know, we're going to pay somebody <laughs> to come and every Sunday to say <laughs> brothers and sisters love one another and then sit down. And his response was, well, I've been preaching this for years, but you haven't done anything. So he carried on teaching on, on loving one another. And, uh, and then sometime later, uh, his message, he came up and he said, brothers and sisters, Love your neighbor. And he went and sat down. Everybody started clapping. 
because they realized, you know, they got, they got the idea of what was going on. And so people started going out to their neighbors. I'm a Christian. I'm a, how can I help you? And he said that the church from that point on was just flooded with calls from people, unsaved people come calling saying, I need help. Can you help me? It changed that it changed that church. That story has always stuck in my mind. I've never actually had the courage to preach that message. <laughs> and they sit down. <laughs> Maybe I should have tried it tonight. But um very powerful message, isn't it? You know, why why do we need all this teaching if we can't do the very simplest of, of commands, obey the simplest of commands that Jesus gave his disciples and to us to love one another. And I think that this is a moment uh, when we can hear those words from Jesus and take them in and say, God, what does this mean for me where we are now? So how do we get ready for 2021? Learn to love one another and learn to love our neighbor. Let's pray.